Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thank you for downloading episode 10 of Kicking the Kariaki with me, Sid. And me, Elena. Remember, if you like what you hear, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes, you babe. And while you're at it, maybe share it with the guy who said not all guys this week. He could probably do with some schooling. And another thing, we've entered the British Podcast Awards, which is super exciting. We never thought we'd be big enough to do something like that. And we need your help. There's a Listener's Award, which basically means that the podcast with the most votes wins an award, and we need you to help us out. If you go to our Twitter and Facebook page, you'll find it as a pinned post, and you can vote for us by typing in Kicking the Kariaki and clicking Submit. You're also in with the chance of winning a pair of tickets to the award ceremony, a magical evening with all your favourite podcasters. But mainly us. So... Last month, we talked relationships and focused particularly on domestic violence. Many of you got in contact to let us know that the topic meant something to you personally, and you were so glad that it was being talked about. We're so happy that we're able to provide a platform for topics that resonate. Speaking of resonating topics, you'll have seen a lot in the media about trans identities. We're marking Trans Day of Visibility on the 31st of March with this episode. So whether you've heard of Caitlyn Jenner, Laverne Cox or neither, we've got some great guests who tell us what it's like to be trans today. So what is it like to be Muslim and trans? Can you be both? How do you tell your family? What's it like to be reduced to what's in your pants? It's worth noting the cis privilege that we take for granted every day. Nobody ever questions me when I go to the toilet. Nobody's ever surprised by the pitch of my voice. People get my pronouns right when I walk into the room. And people never ask me. So, you know, have you had the uh, surgery? And that's inappropriate. Meet Bex, Saba and Romario. Hi, I'm Bex. I'm um, 28. I'm head of trans inclusion at Stonewall. My pronouns are she, her, but I don't mind they, them. It's worth pointing out that I'm white and identify as a binary woman. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast this month, especially to talk about trans. Are you able to tell us a little bit about what being trans means to you? It's a difficult question. What being trans means to me is really hard to explain other than the fact that I just know it's a part of my identity. And it's always challenging when someone asks whether or not you'd choose to be trans or if you'd choose to be cis. I think for sake of ease, it's sometimes a simpler option to say, yeah, I'd be cis. Because if my physiology and when I was assigned male at birth, if that wasn't the case, if I was assigned female at birth, it would have probably made my decisions, my identity and my expression a lot easier to deal with for a lot of people. But it wouldn't have made my life any better. My life has been made the way it is because of who I am. Being trans is just a part of who I am. It's a big part of it, but it's an integral part of who I am. It's given me the experiences that I've had, both positive and negative. And it's shaped the relationships that I've had with people as well. It's shaped my understanding of the world, my understanding of sexuality, my understanding of friendship. It's been everything. So to a degree, what being trans means to me is that I'm a human being with another part of my identity the same as anybody else. And it's something that I have to live with and I've learnt to love. Thank you. You talked about cis. Would you be able to explain what cis is? So being cis is the shorthand for cisgender, which is the way to define somebody who's not trans. So anyone who's sex assigned at birth correlates with their gender identity is the best way to, to define what cis is. So... We did an episode on non-binary and I think Sid and I would have liked to have done trans first because non-binary is under the umbrella term of trans. So could you maybe 
explain that or unpack that a little bit more? It's worth mentioning not everybody who's non-binary identifies as trans. It's worth mentioning that some people who are simply identify as gender non-conforming would say they are therefore non-binary, but not trans. Trans essentially means crossing. It comes from the Latin. So it was essentially to mean cross-gender, which isn't the language anybody would use to describe themselves. But it's something specific to a lot of people in that they define themselves as trans because they were assigned female at birth and identify as male or vice versa. Someone who's non-binary could identify as trans in the sense that their gender identity is not what their sex was assigned at birth. It doesn't correlate to that, but they don't necessarily identify as either male or female. So they may not identify as being a man or a woman. They could be gender fluid. They could be gender queer. They could be agender, non-gendered. There's a whole range of identities that non-binary is just another umbrella term within an umbrella term of trans. To unpack the word trans is very difficult. It would be easier if I was just Bex. Yeah, I can imagine. So can you maybe explain to us or tell us a little bit about your story or your journey with this? Definitely. I need to start at the beginning because the beginning is its a quite cute part. I like the part at the beginning, but it also makes me really uncomfortable. So bear with me. The first time I kind of thought about my gender identity, I was seven. And I remember because we'd gone to visit a family friend. My mum and their friend, who's the family friend, were in the kitchen. I was in the living room on my own and I was watching a Britney Spears DVD and I was glued to the TV screen. And at one point, my mum and a friend came through. My mum's friend decided to say, oh, we all know why he's watching that without taking his eyes off it, referring to the fact, obviously, that he thought I found her attractive. And what makes me laugh is that they had no idea why I was watching that DVD. The real reason was because I want to be her, not because of anything about me that was saying I should be a woman when I'm a man, but just because Britney was amazing. So it's important (laughs) for me to point out that I wasn't trying to become Britney. She was just incredible. So that's when it kind of started, and I realised there was a difference It went on for a long time that I had difficulty kind of expressing that. And we're going back to the 90s. So we're going back to a time when trans wasn't really a thing in people's heads. It was a very hidden issue. And I got to the age of 12, 13. I couldn't really hide it anymore. So I remember when I first tried to come out and everybody at that point disowned me. I lost my family. I lost my friends. I was attacked in school on the streets in the village where I live. And things got really difficult for me because I started wearing makeup and I started growing my hair and I started trying clothes that were typically female according to redundant parts of society. So because of that, it was enough to subject me to torment and bullying from within my own family to the point at which my own mother called me a freak and threw me out. There were suicide attempts, there were runaways, there was self-harm. Essentially what happened was that I suppressed it, cut my hair off again, stopped wearing makeup, stopped trying to dress the way I wanted to dress, stopped telling people who I really was, and went back to performing the life that people thought I should perform. And that culminated in a really serious suicide attempt when I was 18. That put me in hospital for a while. I had to go through quite a lot of surgery and and things to put things right. At this point, I'd left home and I'd moved away from anybody and everybody. It went on for a couple of years where I I couldn't deal with it. And at the age of 22, I finally had the conversation with my mother, who had despised the idea of me being the way I am now when I was a teenager, and who I feared I would eternally lose when I decided to tell her that I couldn't take it anymore, that I had to transition. I met her for a shopping trip. And I said, before the end of the day, I have to tell you something and you have to make me tell you. And it got to the end of the day and I was going to chicken out. And my mum managed to coax it out of me. Um, But I rambled for a whole hour, just nonstop trying to explain myself, trying to justify my identity, trying to just give a reason so that I could see some kind of sympathy in her eyes, so I could get her to accept who I was. And I got all the way to the end of this rambling and I just went, so there, that's it. To which she just said, do you want another drink? And she'd completely flipped. Her mind, her attitude, she'd completely changed. She was no longer somebody who despised me because I was trans. She didn't think I was a freak anymore. She didn't think I was a weirdo. I'm not saying it was an instantaneous change. I'm not saying that all of a sudden she was fine with me and used the right pronouns and knew who I was. But she accepted that I wanted to be myself. And she accepted that I needed love for who I really was. So ultimately, I was able to transition. I lost everybody else. There's nobody in my life now that was then, other than my mum. But thankfully, my mum saw through it. And because of the things that had happened in the past, she made the most conscious, ridiculously brave effort to correct herself all of the time. To just, in random sentences where my name and pronouns did not belong, put them in just as she could get used to saying them. 
and <clears throat> I knew that she'd changed and I knew that everything had moved on when uh, she went on a night out with friends at work and I heard this story from one of the friends that she went on the night out with that <clears throat> they were outside a bar having a cigarette and a trans woman walked to go into the bar and as she went through the doors into the bar a group of guys who were stood outside the bar having a cigarette as well started laughing, joking and being really horrifically abusive and my mum who I will point out is no bigger than four foot six um, walked up to a man who was over six foot thumped him in the face and said you have no idea how brave that woman is for being herself that for me was a part almost the end of my journey because I didn't I no longer had to justify my identity I'm still on the journey but that was when I knew I'd done the right thing it's fair to say that you are an openly trans woman definitely so what's that like being in a world where people have to think about your gender so for me as a cisgendered woman that's something that's never on their radar for you as an openly trans woman people will actively have to acknowledge that and think about that what's that like it's interesting i think it's worth pointing out that there's the horrible aspect of the discussion around what people term passing for me a lot of people will instantly say oh you pass quite well or you'd never know but thankfully i sound like an agitated bumblebee in a tumble dryer so when i'm able to open my mouth there's no disputing that i'm trans because in people's heads my voice means that i must be trans so that enables me to not have the conversation it also means that i get the looks so I will quite happily be stood in an elevator. In fact, at work, quite often, I'll be in the lift going up to the 13th floor. And that's fine. And nobody will bat an eyelid. But when I open my mouth to talk to somebody in the lift, everybody will instantly turn around and clock me. And they won't do anything and they won't say anything. But their expression is they'll automatically turn around because they presumed it was a woman standing behind them. And so subconsciously, their mind said, there's a woman standing behind me. There's no man in this lift behind me. And suddenly there's a man's voice. What's going on? But I don't mind that my voice or the way I look challenges people to think about trans identities or gender. In the grand scheme of things, it's what I want to achieve. It's why I do it professionally now as well. My entire life is about being trans. And people, of course, have to think about it. And that annoys me immensely because people then have to treat you differently just by the very fact that they have to think about whether or not you're a man or a woman. And then you think, but what about the people who are neither? We need to be able to just accept people for being people. But if there are a lot of people thinking, I can't see a person, I can only see a gender and me opening my mouth instantly challenges their perception of who I am. It's quite worrying. They have no idea who I am, and yet my voice somehow sets them on edge or makes them turn around or makes them think something about me. I think that's the thing, is that it automatically gives them an insight into something that's quite a personal thing, and that, ne- that would never happen for me in that respect. When I open my mouth, people are instantly thinking about my genitals. If we're being entirely honest, that's what's happening. And I know it because, for example, yesterday I was in the perfume shop. You know, it was a particularly quiet day for them because there were five staff members just stood around talking. But when I walked in, there wasn't an issue. But when I turned round to the person who was with me and spoke, they all stopped and looked. And then one of them walked past the line of them and whispered something about the fact that I was a guy. So instantly, people are thinking about your genitals. That's what they're thinking about. What's in their underwear? Or isn't, as the case may be. What is your opinion or what, what's your insight on trans being considered a mental health issue? It's horrific, isn't it? I can't bear it. And considering I'm still going through a process of a gender identity clinic myself, I still have to sit there with a psychiatrist who writes on the end of my report after every assessment, no apparent risk to others, low risk to self, or no apparent risk to self. And that's horrific, where your genitals are written on a piece of paper every time. And I understand that a lot of trans people are vulnerable, And a lot of trans people suffer greatly with their mental health because they have so many issues to deal with. The reasons that they suffer and the reason that they sometimes have great difficulties with their mental health is not because they're trans. It's because the world doesn't like the fact that they're trans. And that's what causes the self-harm. That's what causes the risks. And it's what leads to anxiety, stress, depression. Until that stigma is removed... And until people see that 
mental health is reliant on being able to be who you are and be happy in who you are, regardless of whether you're trans or not. Until that's accepted, trans people will continue to suffer because it's seen as a mental illness, because it's seen as being something that's wrong with their brain. I like my brain quite a lot. I think I've got a lovely brain. It's the only part of my body I quite like, actually. So for me to be told that that's not okay is not okay. This constant having to prove who you are and prove it to others despite what they might think, oh, it just sounds like a lot of a lot of hard work. <laughs> and when you think about, and especially when you talk about like a risk to self, risk to others, and I, I hate to bring it up because the debate about toilets, I'm sorry. <laughs> Is there a debate? <laughs> no, I agree that you, know, you should be able to use whichever toilet you, you want, really. But the idea that by trans people being able to use whichever toilet fits with their identity actually that that would be putting a risk to others when we know statistically actually most of the time it's the trans people who are the most vulnerable when they walk into a bathroom can you articulate why there isn't a debate there's no debate because trans people need to use the bathroom just like anybody else it's important that they're able to use the bathroom safely and one of the things that strikes me as most peculiar about, let's say, the so-called debate is that what actually happens is that people who argue against trans, and it's almost exclusively always trans women, being entitled to use the women's toilet, their argument is that they'll be put at risk, as you said. But when you actually follow it through, trans people overwhelmingly want gender-neutral rooms, which are single, single, like single service, single use, not a raft of cubicles. Trans people value privacy more than anybody and would much prefer to have a single-use toilet that is lockable and private. So when you follow it through to conclusion, what you find is that we're not talking about trans people gaining access to put people at risk. We're talking about people who exist in those spaces wanting to put trans people at risk. And that's the issue. It's forcing one person out of risk into risk. And the whole idea that a trans person by their very existence in a space causes anybody else harm or suffering makes me angry. So what it is, this so-called debate, is actually just a smokescreen. It's to say whether or not a trans person's identity is valid and the people who oppose trans women using a women's restroom, what they're actually saying is trans women don't deserve to be in public spaces. They're not real people. They don't deserve to be in the same space as us. And the toilets, is that almost just one example of the danger that trans people can find themselves in? Most definitely. I think, unfortunately, trans people find themselves in danger the minute they step out their front door. The only reason it's not always the case is for people like me who have what some would term as passing privilege. The fact that people don't look at me instinctively and think that I'm trans. People who don't have passing privilege face so much aggression. It's frightening. It's terrifying. Between walking to the corner shop or going into the town centre, going to a bar, going to work. It's no wonder that trans people face high unemployment, face issues accessing education services. It's no wonder trans people are very often isolated and very often are only able to socialise in circles of other trans people because that's the only place they feel safe. The idea of walking down the street and having someone yell or hurl abuse at you or become physically violent towards you just because of the way you look is just horrendous. And I think that goes for everybody, not just trans people. But because of the issue that trans people are the subject of thought about genitals, it challenges people's perceptions of their sexuality and it challenges people's perceptions of love, friendship, romance. It challenges it all. And because of that, it becomes a very real, tangible hatred. I'd never before thought about how by just existing, it's kind of like a fuck you <laughs> to, to gender, by just existing. Or at least that maybe that's what cis people see. It's a good point. Ultimately, when I'm walking into the perfume shop, I just want to buy a bottle of Victor and Rolf. The point is that that's what I want to do, and I don't see my existence as a challenge to anything other than a challenge to oppression when it oppresses me. I just want to exist in that space like anybody else. It's cis people who see it as a challenge. Do you think the media praises straight, white, cisgendered allies too much rather than championing the trans people themselves? Because I almost feel like we've had to wrestle with this a little bit in the sense that this podcast gets a lot of praise for like providing platforms, which is great, and that's exactly what Sid and I wanted to do. I sometimes feel a bit nervous of the praise that we get because it's not us, it's not our stories. People are, are giving us their stories to platform. The idea wasn't to praise people like us. So what do you think of things like that? I think 
We live in a world where allies are necessary for people to survive, let alone thrive. I think that without allies, nothing would be achieved. And the way I react is that a conversation I had not long ago was about trans representation in Parliament and about how trans people should be able to affect change in the law because cis people, which Parliament is fair to say almost entirely binary cis, that without trans representation in Parliament, you'll never have effective legislation that works for trans people. But the problem is, is that Parliament is full of people who aren't trans. And if we're going to get that change, we need to rely on those allies in Parliament. So while I agree that trans people need to be able to speak for themselves, they also need help and support to be able to do that. And people need to make room for them to step into that space. And while you may not be trans, and while this podcast may identify issues for other people and you may be allies to those people this podcast is a platform which enables trans voices among every other voice to be heard what you are doing is allowing them the chance to speak and i've noticed that you've not interrupted me once which is telling it's very telling it's an opportunity for me to speak way too boringly and ardently for over and over and instead of you speaking over me and telling me or asking me questions which will trip me up You've given me the opportunity to, to voice my opinions and to tell you what I think about the problems that I face and the way things should be tackled. So you have almost surrendered the platform. So I think it's important to stress that allies are really important and you most certainly ever shouldn't beat yourselves up for getting praise for a platform that provides a voice to people. Thank you. Yeah, it's really nice to hear. Yeah. So it's not about us, but it does feel like, you know, we're trying our best and we do make mistakes sometimes and stuff. I feel really privileged to be able to hear those things. And I feel really lucky to have someone like you and have your story on the podcast because I would never know any of this. And to be trusted with that is a real privilege. It's incredible. Thank you. We wanted to try and mark Trans Day visibility. You're a visible trans woman. So what's that like to step up to that platform? It's terrifying. To a degree, I'm just, I'm loud, I'm bossy, and I'm brash. So that means that I'm not really bothered about taking some flack for who I am. And what I've come to realise is that too many people who are in the position I've been in aren't able to do that and aren't able to feel that confident and that brashy and that bold because they've suffered too much. And it's important that people who can stick up for anybody who is suffering with oppression and struggling to overcome it it's really important that those who can feel able to speak up do speak up. Trans Day of Visibility is crucial because it gives those who are able to shout about their visibility the platform, albeit for a mere 24 hours, to be able to speak about their identity and their journey, but more importantly, why it's necessary that we hear more from trans people. And those voices need to be encouraged. So you're doing it because it's necessary? Yeah, because people are people and... Human beings deserve respect and love and acceptance. So until that happens, I will shout about it. I should probably surrender my platform a bit more often to people who don't speak as often as I do because I'm confident I feel I can speak a lot. And it's the quieter voices that are often far more profound. That's a really powerful point to hear because, of course, you're not speaking on behalf of all trans people ever, right? But I do think that by taking up space and speaking, the people who are a bit shy and a bit quieter can get inspired to see that it is possible and feel like maybe they can step that little bit more forward too. We should all be conscious. So what we have to do is enable people who don't have the confidence, don't have that voice to speak up. We need to enable them to speak up. We need to give them the confidence to speak up because they're the ones that may say something which changes the world. Yeah. That was a great quote. Yeah. <laughs> okay, two final questions. Words of wisdom for other trans people. And also, what are you working on? Words of wisdom is a difficult one. Instinctively, I want to say, be yourself. Stay safe. And if that means that you are not ready to be yourself yet, that's okay. Make sure you find the support around you to feel you can do that. Don't take risks you don't need to take. But also don't feel like just because you haven't transitioned, just because you're not this golden trans person who's had the medical process, who's got a gender recognition certificate, who's in the media because you pass really well and look really sexy, you are still valid and you are still valuable and you are still important. And controversially, you are still beautiful. And then projects, probably a bit more lighthearted or maybe not. <laughs> I mean, at work, we've got the Vision for Change consultation process, 
which has just closed, which is Stonewall's big document that covers and underpins the work that we're doing on trans inclusion and trans specific objectives that we're trying to meet. That's a really big project and it has nearly destroyed me. And what's been incredible is to see the support that's grown because this document, unlike a law that would be made in Parliament, has been written by trans people. So that gives it some power, that gives it some authority, and it gives it some real connection to real life. Amazing. Thank Brilliant. you <laughs> so much, Bex, for coming on this episode this month. Thank you so much for taking the time to educate us, the listeners, taking on quite a lot of intellectual and emotional labour just then. So really, mm. thank you. It's really appreciated. That's yeah. so lovely. Thank you. I really appreciate the fact that I've had the chance to come and speak to you. It's an incredible podcast, and I love the fact that you're doing this. And any involvement I can have, I'm so happy to do. So I love the fact that I've been here this evening. That was Bex who tells us that something as simple as buying perfume or standing in a lift can reveal an intimate part of who you are. Her comment on the quietest voices being the most powerful is definitely one to take away. Let's meet Saba. Hello, my name is Saba. I'm a hairy brown, queer, trans person, able-bodied, Pakistani. I'm Muslim. I'm also a trans youth worker and I like writing. Thank you so, so much for giving up your time for a phone interview. We really appreciate it. Uh, that's all right. If you're comfortable with it, could you maybe describe to us or define what is trans? Yeah, so I was actually just doing a LGBT training aimed at teachers today, so I'm in this zone of defining trans. So yeah, trans is an umbrella term. It means basically someone who doesn't identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, which is usually either male or female. It could be about someone's gender expression or gender identity. Sometimes people make up gender identities, and that's really awesome. Um, sometimes the gender identities are cultural, like specific to different parts of the world and different communities. I guess what trans means to me is just not being either male or female or a man or a woman. To me, being trans means like my body is gender non-conforming and my gender expression is fluid and my gender identity is really personal um, and like private almost. To me, being trans is being a gender fuck and being confusing and making people question, screwing with people's ideas of binary genders by existing, I suppose, and having a really confusing body type or appearance. You kind of started talking about what being trans meant to you. Would you be able yeah. to tell us a little bit about what has been your journey so far? I think a lot of people expect me to have like set dates and times and moments where like I came out as trans or I transitioned or I, you know, did X, Y, Z milestone in my trans journey. And like, I just don't really remember because it, it doesn't really matter that much to me, those kinds of steps or how long it's been since I started using different pronouns or, um, and I guess that's related to how little like medical transition and the medical intervention has played a part in my own gender journey yeah being trans isn't always about medical transitioning but for some people it is is that what you mean by that yeah so the mainstream narrative of being trans is very medicalized and it's very much like you know you are transitioning from one gender to another with these hormones and this surgery and that's that um, but actually the medical part of my transition was just so unimportant. And I think it, it was all the other stuff that came along with it that I feel is far more exciting and interesting, like the social aspect of not even like transitioning in inverted commas, but just moving between a different mindset or occupying different spaces, you know, as someone who is presenting differently to what they're expected to present as. Okay. Yeah. So when you look at the media for maybe the past like five years, let's say, we've seen an increase in the number of celebrities coming out as trans. And to some extent, this has been a good thing because it means that trans issues are being brought to the forefront. But mm. what are your thoughts on this? I mean, do you think that these people are representing you? Yeah, visibility is it's a tricky one. It was only recently that I allowed myself to sit on the fence about whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I think a lot of that has come from 
my own journey, I suppose, and um, searching for personal validation that, oh, I can be a person of colour and I can be trans at the same time. And just because there isn't anyone out there in the media who looks like me doesn't mean I can't still exist. The other thing is just from working with so many trans young people, I can't underestimate the power of visibility. And it's just so important that they see someone like them. I didn't really feel like trans people in the media represented me. Um, When I started to accept that I might be trans, I didn't think there was any trans people in the media at all, really. So there was definitely no representation in terms of like trans people of colour or like South Asian queer people. So... That was a lot of why I started to put my own voice out there and started writing and started to get involved in like LGBT community groups and I guess activism and just setting up spaces. We were kind of like, fine, okay, there's no representation of us in the media, but let's just try and carve out a space where we could exist. Because I'm kind of thinking of the people like, I mean, it might be a bit cliche, but I'm kind of thinking of people like Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. And how there is like a lack of trans people of colour. You know, Mm. as somebody that has never had to struggle to see people that look like me in the media, Mm. I'm wondering what that's like. It is interesting. It is just a privilege being able to see yourself represented in like the TV or in the magazine or on the news or something. Well, not on the news because trans people of colour are like represented on the news or just like tragedies. Yeah, when I think about trans representation now, I don't really think about it as something for myself. I think about it as something that's for like trans youth who I support. It's just more important for them, I suppose, that they're growing up in a world where people like Caitlyn Jenner are already out there and there are trans storylines on the soap and the TV that they're watching and it's there, like it's it's already there, like they're not having to really search out for it. So young trans people today have more people to look up to. Yeah. And they're perhaps easier to find on the internet as well? Yeah, totally. Online is that place to look for people who do occupy um, like more than one identity. So like non-binary people of colour, trans people of faith and disabled trans people. Everyone who hasn't been given a platform yet, I suppose. And it's also easier to stay safe online. You know, the price of visibility is that you're not safe, but online you can kind of navigate that all right. And even if the representation in the mainstream doesn't represent the trans young people, there will be conversations about why it doesn't. They will be loud. And that's amazing because when I was younger, there was just no space even to have that conversation about why it's important. It was just like, this doesn't exist. So that's the end of that. It's really powerful because it pushes them to create their own representation and be each other's role models, which is amazing. Hmm. What kinds of stereotypes are there of trans people that perhaps aren't helpful, particularly to cis people who haven't really thought about it before? I've been thinking about trans people of faith and queer people of faith. There's just such a prejudice against the Muslim community for being transphobic and a a stereotype that trans people can't be religious as well. Um, It really bothers me because it just means that there's less of a space where we can then exist. You know, if Muslims are seen as transphobic, so we can't be associated with Muslims, but if trans people are seen as people of no faith or atheists, then where do we go? It's a real battle because I think as soon as people hear that I'm Muslim or I tell them I'm Muslim, no matter how fleeting it is, if it's just a a comment, suddenly it's like, oh, well, what did the Muslim community say? How can you be Muslim and trans? How? Like, all this other shit about how... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. A lot can happen in 3 years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
I'm probably not Muslim enough, and am I really Muslim if I can do that? Yeah, it just becomes a battle. And that just makes me want to not talk about being Muslim, which really pisses me off because I've been hiding that part of me for so long and hiding different parts of me for so long. Why would I want to keep hiding? It's just really frustrating. And in those moments, I think that the visibility, like I'm in a position of privilege where I can be safe and visible and talk about my experiences. And it's more important that I say that I'm Muslim and trans than I don't say it. Like, does that make sense? Yeah, Um, definitely. Like, I can deal with ignorant Islamophobic comments. It's more important that I'm there and saying that I am the both of these things, even if someone disagrees and thinks, you know, I'm deluded or then at least I've said that I, I'm still here. People see being Muslim as a binary in that you're either Muslim or you're not. And the binary of being Muslim is usually a really, like, quote, traditional, um, strict conservative, practicing, whatever the fuck those words mean, it's very that. Um, And you're either that or you're not. And there's no room for it to be a personal thing. There's no room for it to be a fluid thing. There's no room to have doubt. There's no room to to be like in between, you know, (laughs) there's no room to be like a a non-binary Muslim, like on that kind of spectrum. And faith is a spectrum, just like any other part. I think faith is a spectrum, just like any other part of my identity. It's just so frustrating that people can't see that. So... Being a person of colour and being trans, so that's like two identities. And being a person of colour is almost, it's an, it's an identity that you don't really have like mm. much control of people seeing. Whereas yeah. with trans, and I'm aware that this question can come across as potentially quite problematic, but with being trans, yeah. it's not necessarily a visible identity. So yeah. what's that like, having identities like that? One that's really visible and one that is less so, assuming that you, in inverted commas, conventionally pass, which I know is really problematic. And so, I'm happy it, to be called out on that. Oh, it's, it's okay. Um, understanding that my colour, my skin colour comes first, was really, really difficult and quite painful thing to accept, I suppose, because I was... I was a lesbian and I was in a really white LGBT community um all my friends were white my partner was white my housemates were white I was in Brighton for fuck's sake like it was super white and it just never occurred to me that my skin color was a, a color I suppose like I just didn't even it didn't even occur to me and then when I realized I'm always going to be brown and that is the first thing that people see and then they see that I'm you know whatever visibly queer second or a dyke second then I don't know it just felt like I I didn't have control but I guess that was probably what it feels like when you don't have power in those situations or when power is taken away from you it's really frustrating because I feel like even now like I guess I'm not as visibly queer or um I pass as a cis person I have a cis passing privilege which um I don't like but I have it so I have a choice now of like to show or like out myself so why do you choose to write yourself? Oh my God, because I love it. I love being trans and I, I really love being queer and I want all parts of me to show at once. I want to be all of those things at once. I always felt like I was going to lose some kind of queer visibility if I started, you know, taking hormones or passing, you know, just by dressing more masculine or differently. Having that choice is like a massive privilege and... Um, unfortunately, part of like making that choice is it's a choice to be, be safe and like not a target. What does passing mean to you, and what kinds of privileges would I have that I would never have even thought about? Okay, so passing is the idea that a trans person will go undetected as the gender that they present as without people knowing that they're trans or uh, identified as a different gender or were assigned a different gender at birth. Passing is really validating for some trans people, but it's quite problematic because it implies that trans people need to look a certain way and the certain way is to look like a cis person. I'm sure that you know the pressures of like what women should look like. So for trans women to pass as women, it's just like even more pressure to conform to sexist um, standards or um, behaviours or expressions or appearances. So we've we've talked a little bit about visibility. Why is it important to have a trans day of visibility? It's important because being someone who's like me 
out there in the media being represented, being safe and uplifted tells me that people like me exist, are happy and proud and it's validating. But it's very revealing who does get to be visible and who gets to choose to be visible. For me, visibility and safety go hand in hand and it might be up to trans people to be visible, but it's not up to us to be safe. We don't determine how safe we are. It's, it's the rest of it's the other people. It's the people who oppress us. It's the people who target us. It's the people who have power over us. Absolutely. And, and so society as a whole. Which brings us on to what can we do as allies to trans people of colour and maybe trans people of faith? I think the moment you start talking or learning about trans people, start learning about people of colour and start learning about people of faith at the same time because trans people of colour are a part of the trans community. We will exist within it and we will exist outside of it. Don't just expect to like Google trans and expect brown and black faces to show up because you probably won't. Do your homework, I suppose. Listen to us. Listen to our stories. Find out what um, organisations support us. Share resources that are written by trans people of colour that are for trans people of colour. Find a way to give us money or help support us to get funding because chances are we're underfunded. Just making sure you're not learning about things in isolation. I guess taking an intersectional approach to supporting trans people of colour in that way. And lastly, just keep going. I think the moment we say that we're done learning is the moment we miss something and our privilege blinds us. Being like honest about your privilege, because it's not a bad thing, like everyone has privilege. It's just being aware of it is the first step to being able to redistribute that power. Being an ally means giving up that power, essentially, to me. What advice or words of wisdom do you have for other trans people of colour and maybe other trans people of faith? And also, what projects are you working on so that we can provide a platform for those and that our listeners can help you out and can follow you, can see what you're up to? I guess the messages that I want to give to people who are coming to terms with being Muslim and LGBT is that it's completely your choice and... I know people use Islam against us, but there's this chapter in the Quran which says that God does not burden any human being with more than he has given him. And it may well be that God will grant after hardship ease. To me, it just reminds me that us coming to terms with being Muslim and trans or Muslim and queer is never going to be our only trial, and nor is it going to be only our trial either. Like, just as we are tested deeply and personally about what our faith looks like as queer and trans Muslims, those around us, like our family and, you know, straight and cis Muslims in the rest of the community are tested on what their own faith looks like and how accepting and loving it can be for queer and trans Muslims as well. That was really nice. Yeah, no, that was really good. I like the quote from the Quran. I'd never been quoted it before. No. Mm. So what projects are you working on? At the moment, I'm working with Metro doing their trans youth support work, um, which is a new project. Also working as a trans youth support worker with a transgender charity called Gendered Intelligence um, and running a group for trans people of colour. I've also started getting involved with inclusive mosque initiatives who are LGBT inclusive feminist Muslim organisation who hold fortnightly Jumma prayers which don't segregate men and women for prayer. Just a really inclusive space. I'm kind of taking a backseat from public speaking and writing uh, for the time being but you can keep in touch with me on facebook.com forward slash Sabah Chowdhury or find me on Twitter at Sabah Chowdhury. That was Sabah, who is able to be visible as both a Muslim and a trans person of colour. It's really powerful to hear how having faith and being LGBTQ plus can coexist when they're always portrayed as either or. Last but not least, we have Romario. My name is Romario, otherwise known as Mr. Black Branson on the World Wide Web. I share stories through music, poetry, speech, film as well. And that just was an inspiration from my many years of transitioning from, you know, one gender to another. And through going through a lot of adversity with that, I almost took my own life or contemplated it quite a few times. And I realized that through sharing my story that hopefully somebody out there would not want to take their own life. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your journey? I think my journey has been quite, it feels like solitude, only because I feel like I've lived it in my head for the past, oh God, or I dare say 30 years, <laughs> dread that number. <laughs> I always feel like I never quite see anything on the outside world that represents me authentically and that makes me feel involved or that I'm not strange. 
And so I spent a lot of time growing up with my dad in particular, feeling like something must be wrong with me, not quite feeling validated, not understanding what gender meant or anything, just knowing how I feel. And so I just go along with whatever feeling. You know, I like girls at the time and I feel very masculine. I may not have all the autonomy parts, but to me, I thought, oh, I'm just a different type of guy. But then as I grew up, I'd get challenged on the idea of what a binary body would be. It's like, well, you're missing this penis, for example. Like, what's going on with that? Well, I'm like, hmm, not really missing it. Maybe shorter than the average, but <laughs> that alienated me from the world. And that kind of leads to the breakdown with my family. I had a massive disconnection with my mom. We only reconnected the past couple of years. As a result, not very close with my siblings. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Did you have an understanding of your gender expression as a young child? I would say no. I think I was just behaving very authentic. I was very innocent. I didn't have a word for it. And it's not like today's era of kids where they understood sex and biology and all that stuff. Like I grew up in the naive time where we were more interested in Saturday cartoons than anything else. I remember a memory that I have where I showered with my brother. We're about a year or two apart. And I don't remember a point looking at him thinking that I felt like something was missing on me. I just remember thinking, oh, I'm just different. And it wasn't until I went up to a girl and I started like saying I liked her. And she was like, what's wrong with you, girl? And that's, that sentence that she threw at me like, really made me stop. And I was like, oh my gosh, what does she mean? Like, Why did she even call me that? Like, That makes no sense. And then that began the journey of trying to understand gender expression. And now I think I've come to a conclusion that gender and sexuality is not binary at all. I think if we didn't have society constraining us, we'd all just want to have fun. <laughs> The average person doesn't get challenged on their gender. The only reason I have to think about that question is because I've been challenged on it. I say I'm one thing and then somebody sees something else and go, well, no, you're not that because that's not what I was taught. Whereas the average person growing up, they'll never, ever, ever really have to ever stop and think, am I a girl? Am I a woman? Okay, well, the ability to have kids, does that make me a woman? The ability to menstruate, does that make me a woman? What if I lose my breasts? Does that make me a woman? And so I think the world is also learning from trans people on how to deal with body issues and also maybe even stopping to ask themselves about their own concept of their body and how they see themselves and ask them what makes them male or female. I think that has been the silver lining throughout the oppression of sexuality and gender. I think that's really interesting when we think about how we tend to define gender in very anatomical ways and I think that's true in what you're saying that it's forcing society to really question the definition of gender and what defines gender. Something that has been in the media quite a lot recently is the question of trans children. It's controversial because I think the idea that children might know that they are a particular gender but their parents won't let them transition for whatever reason because they think that they don't know yet and that you have to reach a certain age. And then I kind of feel like we tend to have a lot of cisgendered and a lot of cisgendered old men telling us what trans children can and can't do. And I wanted to know if you maybe had an opinion on this. Sometimes it's not coming from a bad place when they're trying to police how these kids should be. I think what we really should be asking ourselves is how much does the children understand what it is that they're going through. But I think getting a system where the child is put at the forefront and we get a creative way of communicating with the kids to understand where they are in terms of understanding their own gender and stuff like that. Now, in terms of altering the body, for example, if they wanted some form of surgery, I think maybe that should be delayed only because the body is still developing and I think maybe put them on hormone blockers which prevents the onset of puberty because from research puberty is where nine of the ten times is what's going to cause the most distress to them if it's for example if it's a trans male going from genetically female to male it's going to be the onset of breast it's going to be onset of period that's going to be quite distressing for them so definitely putting them on some form of blocker is going to be very very helpful and will also alleviate intensive surgery later on in life and may also help them to mentally be able to be much much better to society because sometimes what they 
Jewish people are not thinking of is that while you have kids dealing with all this, they're not investing their energy into a potential career. And so they're not actually getting to that point where they can contribute to society. I think the quicker we deal with it, get them out of distress, speak to them, interview them and treat them, I think they should be treated. We should probably point out that puberty blockers are given to children from the onset of puberty, so when they started puberty. And as far as we can tell, all of the the repercussions from it are completely reversible. So it's literally just a pause button on the things that happen Mm -hmm. to puberty. And it's actually really hard to get access to puberty blockers and things like this. You can't just walk in and just get it straight away. You have to have support from parents. You have to have lots of other things in place. Mm -hmm. And then finally, cross-sex hormones and everything that comes after that is is from 16 onwards. And there's a whole other process to that. So when the Mm -hmm. media talks about changing children and influencing them the medical stuff doesn't come into it it's just about accepting the child for who they are and who they say they are and how they want to dress how they want to wear their hair mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of thing even from my own personal experience my mom she was upset not because of what i wanted to do she was more upset because of what does that now mean about her mm. when she go wrong and then the stigma of now speaking to the family to her it's a symbol of failure and it takes time and education for them to get over that you kind of touched on it a little bit about your family's reaction. We understand that you're you're Jamaican. Can you maybe explain mm-hmm. a little bit what it's like in Jamaica and the attitudes towards queer people and trans people? When I was growing up in Jamaica, I'd say it was quite bad. I did not mention anything about being trans or anything of that sort because I felt like I didn't even understand what being a lesbian or a gay person was. That is not even on their radar. How are you going to understand this gender-bending concept I remember hearing loads of stories of doors being kicked in and a lot of the aggression, I would say majority of the aggression, went towards gay men, not so much to lesbians. But I did have a friend who was raped as a result because she was a lesbian. So these things do happen everywhere. The one thing I always like to point out is that the difference between Jamaica and England, for example, is that in England there is consequences for behavior like that from the law whether it's followed through is a different story but from a government perspective if you are homophobic or transphobic towards me there is a system that i could follow in jamaica there is nothing of that sort that exists so therefore if i'm a victim of homophobia for one i have to go and out myself to the same people that i think maybe should protect me And that's a scary place to be in. And that's what it was like growing up there. I have to protect myself, but at the same time, I have to protect myself from the people who I expect to protect me. You know, when I went back recently for the documentary, there seems to be some changes. There's an organization called Transwave that's been doing some work in terms of educating and spreading awareness. That was really positive to see that it can be a safer environment. I even saw a few women holding hands and stuff like that. So I think it's definitely getting better. I hope the law is changing in my lifetime. And what was interesting was that I actually heard recently, not too long ago, that it actually was England that put in the buggery law that actually exists within Jamaica and other third world countries today. England have moved on. These countries have held on to these laws that are causing many upsets and deaths to this day. Jamaica, for example, lives on tourism. And I think eventually they're going to have to get with the program and definitely be a more inclusive society. Otherwise, they're going to be a starving nation. That's what I think. I might get prosecuted for that last sentence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're absolutely right that the the UK portrays itself as really LGBT friendly. But actually, colonialism had such a huge part to play Mm -hmm. in enforcing rules that criminalise particularly gay men not so much gay women and that was part of the buggery law of course was that it was just about Mm -hmm. gay men but many of these communities when the English first came or when Westerners first came I suppose were actually quite inclusive I think when we're talking about privilege on our parts that there's definitely something that needs to be acknowledged that actually maybe homophobia transphobia started with us and I guess that's that's another big secret isn't it the knowing what what actually makes our history so speaking of your family in Jamaica what was it like when you went back post-transition I was very apprehensive to go back I hadn't been back in almost a decade and I haven't seen my father in even longer of time. And when I went to meet him in my hometown, Montego Bay, I did not know what to expect. I know him to be a very violent person. But his reaction was one of remorse, I would say. He almost seemed like he wanted to be supportive, but because of my stepmother's religion, which is Christian, he couldn't really be supportive. And my sister was the same as well. And I wonder if this is the same for a lot of people there. They want to be supportive. They don't have a real reason not to be supportive, but because it goes against the teachings, man and a woman. Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, is what they always said to me. It was interesting to get that reaction. It made me think to myself, I wonder if 
they actually met real people. I wonder if that would alleviate a lot of the homophobia and transphobia that we see that exists within this country. I think 90% of the problem that we see in homophobic countries such as Jamaica has to do with religion. And that's been the reaction that I've received when I went down there. But then at the same time, I felt guilty a little bit because when I went back to Jamaica, I'd already done my surgery, not my top surgery, but I already had hormones. I looked male and so I almost could blend in with the crowd. So it was very a mixed emotion that I felt. It was like I could blend in with the guys, but then would they be sitting with me if they knew? And the other people that I did sit down with who have not transitioned because there is no medical support available in Jamaica, they felt this constant fear. It's like certain places, certain parts of town you don't want to walk. Then you get known for being a certain type of person. And I think most of it is not knowing where to turn if anything does happen. Who do you go to? What do I do? What rights do I have? I could go for a job interview, but because I dress like a quote-unquote lesbian butch or a man, I'm not going to get the job because it's a, it's a banking job, for example. I need to look more feminine. What hurdles do you trans people of colour face? Definitely the idea of having an extra thing to add to the plate. It's the cultural aspect of it. Where do you live? I live in the UK at the moment, so culturally speaking, it's I'm Jamaican, but how do I experience that through my everyday life while living in the UK? How do I experience being black? And on top of that, you have to now deal with your gender expression and sexuality and everything. And I think that is one of the challenges of people who are transitioning off colour. They're having to deal with their culture and staying true to their culture, but somehow, somewhere, it doesn't feel like there's room for that. For example, within Jamaica, it is celebrated that as a man, you're a man, you're strong, you support your woman. So there's no room in there really for a feminine man. Not from a cultural speaking way, not from, not, that's not the typical attitude. You'd be called a sissy. Did that answer the question? Absolutely. So essentially what you're saying is that by breaking gender binaries and becoming more accepting of diversity within gender and also within sexual orientation, we would actually free everybody. We would free men who are perhaps a bit feminine, even if they were straight. We would free women who are perhaps a bit masculine, even if they were also straight. In fact, gender binaries hold us all back. And that's something that trans people of colour have to think about even more so when it comes to playing a part in the bigger culture, I suppose, their culture. Yeah, absolutely. Binaries is another word for constraint. And we're all eventually just going to let go of that anyway. So kind of talking about varying levels of privilege, have you noticed or gained any kind of privilege since transitioning? Uh, some people will say no. I can't say I've taken notice. And maybe that is a privilege in itself, some people might say. The mere fact that I haven't even noticed anything different mm. in that sense. Apart from the fact maybe I could go into a bathroom now and no one's going to ask me, oh, do you belong in this bathroom? <laughs> I would say that's more of a hormone privilege. I've reacted very well to the hormones and now I look male-like so I can be incognito in some places. I have my top surgery so then I can be incognito in some places. Yeah, it becomes quite sticky and messy when you start to think about it because I guess it is a privilege being able to pass in a society that wants you to be conventionally fitting in but then that's not necessarily... Fair. We should appreciate people for who we are, who they are, as opposed to who we think yeah. that they are. What's really interesting is you were talking earlier, Romario, about parts and what were your parts and how you didn't feel like what you, parts you didn't have were that important. And there right. is this narrative of always focusing about what is in someone's pants, especially trans people. But when mm -hmm. you were talking about how the hormones and chest surgery, so basically what people see when they first meet you, because let's be honest, most of the time you don't really yeah. see what's in people's pants. You don't even really talk about <laughs> it. It's not very polite okay. to, certainly not very British to. You shouldn't have to look a certain way for people to take you seriously for who you are. But unfortunately, they do when it's just strangers, I suppose. And ultimately, mm. what's in your pants doesn't matter. Not, not, on, not only to the person who's interested in dating you. I don't mind those questions, but I always ask, where are you coming from with it? Like, what's your intention? Because if you're not interested in me romantically, then that discussion does not need to be had. Only if somebody's interested in me romantically, then I understand. Yeah, we need to know these logistics. We need to understand, well, what, what are you signing up for? Every single person I've ever dated has never, ever, ever asked me that question. They've never, ever, ever asked me any question about my genitals, you know, surgeries, stuff like that. Or sometimes they even told me that they've done their own research. And so they never had to really ask me anything. So I find that very interesting that the people who are not even interested in me romantically are the most interested in what's going on 
below doubt. The problem comes is when you are rejecting somebody within this society now that we live in, especially in a first world country like England, there's no need. We're not starving per se. We're not fighting for space to live per se. We don't live in the jungle anymore. So essentially, there's no real need to reject somebody based on physical appearance, gender, based on genital, based on all those trivial stuff. Why do you think cisgendered and a cisgendered heteronormative society is so threatened by trans people? I don't know if that statement is true. Let's assume it is. If I had to assume it was true, I would say it's because it then challenges everything they've actually ever learned. It challenges some of their prejudice in the past. They may have been very cruel to somebody and it creates guilt. They may have personally had to deal with their own sexual journey or their own gender journey, their own self-expression. If they actually met somebody and interacted with these class of people, their opinion might just dissipate a bit. They might be like, hmm, they're just like me, actually. They like gin and watch football. It's not so bad after all. Why did I even feel so threatened in the first place? The unknown will always make us scared. It's natural. It's what's kept us alive for so long. It's what's allowed us to evolve for so long. So we're operating with prehistoric instincts, trying to apply it to a 21st century world. And meeting people, getting to know people and understanding that they're actually just like you, is that partly why Trans Day Visibility is important? I think so. I think it's important because it reminds people that, holy crap, my bookkeeper was trans, didn't even know. (laughs) 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 However, I would like to say it's also very important that we not pressure people to be visible in that sense either because... It may not be such a huge part of their life. So it goes both ways. Just because you fall into a liberation group doesn't necessarily mean you're an activist on it. Amen to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we've talked a lot about you've been really open and honest and you've shared a lot with us and kind of let us in. I really want to know kind of what you're doing now. I know that you started something called Pure Gender. So could you maybe explain what that is and why you felt the need to start it? Agenda was a, it's an online e-commerce company that sells products for the transgender community. I started that a few years ago, maybe like 2012 or so, only because from my personal transition, I couldn't find products out there that was easily accessible to the UK. It was mainly always the American people. Before I got my hormones, it was very difficult because I got the approval from the London Gender Clinic, but never got the approval from my GP, my doctor. And so I was very suicidal during that time. And after coming out of that moment, I realized I was actually still alive and that there are people out there who have not actually made it to this point. So I vowed to myself that even though no one's there for me and I don't feel like there's any shoulders I could stand on, I would like them to stand on my shoulders. And it's been an uphill battle because I've had to deal with my own personal battle, emotionally, mentally, everything. While trying to keep this company open. Like I self-funded it. I almost lost my house because I was self-funding it. It's only, I would say, within the last three or so years that I've come to appreciate that I'm actually quite a strong person. Like I used to deny that a lot. I used to just think there's nothing special about me. I realized that just the mere fact that I'm still alive, I'm still breathing, I've managed to transition, I've managed to start the company, I've managed to do what I want to do. Is life where I want it to be? No but is life more than I probably expected? Yes. And so therefore, that is something to celebrate. And I feel like that's what pure gender represents to me. It's a symbol of the fact that I'm still alive and that as long as this company is breathing, it means that I still got more in me. I still can go. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, thank you, thank you. that was really poetic. And when you said, you don't feel like you've got any shoulders to stand on, but you want to make sure that people can stand on your shoulders. Uh, it's emotional. I have this history of abandonment and don't always feel very supported. And, but for some reason, I always feel like even if I don't win, at least somebody can win. I go through a lot of pain and I think if I didn't go through that pain, how in the world was I ever going to be able to understand pain? And if you don't understand pain, how can you help to alleviate pain? I think I'm in a better place mentally. I understand who I am a lot more. I understand what makes me tick. I want to find my own tribe, essentially, because... I do need shoulders to stand on. Sometimes I need the support too. But in the meantime, I can continue for people to, to step on me. I have to remember that I have to seek solid ground too. 
Speaking of shoulders to stand on, what can we do to be an ally to trans people of colour? Listen. Not listen with the intention of answering, but actually listen. You'll hear the moment of vulnerability. You'll hear the moment of when it's needed for you to just shut up and give the person a hug. Even doing that is being an ally to somebody who's trans and going through a lot of things. Because nine out of ten times, they're going to tell you what it is they need. They either need support to go to the GP, just you walking with them. Amazing. Is there anything that you're working on that you would like to plug? This is your platform, this is your space to get people to follow you, follow your projects. How can we find you? (laughs) Yeah, you can find me on, if you go through mrblackbanson.com, that's generally the main hub of where you can find everything. At the moment, I would say the project that I'm very much keen on getting people involved in is the Share a Story, Save a Life project. And that is a mainly film-based project where I like to interview people, but in a very cinematography way. And hopefully, if anyone has a story to share or they know of somebody who would like to make an interesting story or something like that, they don't have to have gone through a lot of trauma in their life. Any story. I'd love to definitely be a part of that. Amazing. Thank you so much. So that was episode 10, Trans. We cannot thank the guests enough for trusting us with their stories. And thank you for listening. Being a good ally starts with listening. If you like this or any of our episodes, remember to give us a rating on iTunes and leave a review. Each one dismantles the karaoke one by one, obviously. And don't forget, you can vote for us at the British Podcast Awards. Find the link on our socials, which is Kicking the Kyriarchy on Facebook, at Kick on Twitter, Kicking the Kyriarchy at gmail.com, and www.kickingthekyriarchy.org. Woohoo! Whee! <laughs> Random sit noise. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.